Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Michael Yu at our Brewagoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Welcome, everyone, welcome. Oh, what a privilege and an honor to be able to speak, uh, share this message on wisdom. What an exciting series we've been having with Heart of Kings, and tonight we're going to have a look at uh, Heart of King Solomon. Hmm, interesting topic. Was he wise? He had all this wisdom, he was granted wisdom. Was he wise or was he not? Uh, you know, James 1.5 says, if, you, if any of us lacks wisdom, that we should ask God, and um, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to us all. And such man was a king, was King Solomon, who asked for wisdom, and he was granted that. And Scripture said that there was none wiser in all the world at the time, not amongst any other kings, as wise as Solomon. And Solomon, uh, wisdom was beyond legal and administrative skills. Uh, He had insight into unlimited breadth and Understanding, so in-depth understanding of every situation. But how does someone so wise ends up saying meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless? Everything under the sun, under heaven, is meaningless. You know, the Hebrew word hevel, hevel, translated vapor or smoke. Right? Everything's a vapor. It's a smoke. How does one with so much wisdom can say that everything is meaningless? How does one with great wisdom and insight, one with discerning, with a discerning heart, to get to a point in life and say, hevel, hevel, meaningless? So tonight we're going to look into the heart of King Solomon, a wise man who in later years became very lost. And there is a lesson for us all. And as I delved into Solomon's life and, and journeying with him for the last, I don't know, two, three weeks, what he struggled with is no exception uh, to us. And we are prone to it and we are vulnerable to it. So before we come to our reading, our text, I just want to put um, our reading into context and what I want to do tonight is, after that reading, just have a general overview of Solomon and look at when he gets his wisdom, his heart at the point of his, when he gets the wisdom, and his life throughout and where he ends up. So before we come to our sex, uh, to set the scene, King David is aging and they know that and there's not many days left. Now, Knowing this, Adonia, Solomon's uh, half-brother, sets himself up as king. He rallies people around him, and, and he prom- promotes himself as king. And so Nathan the prophet and Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, they come together, they collude, and they come up with a scheme, and they go to King David and prompts King David to establish Solomon as king. He said, wasn't Solomon going to be king? And so David does that. And in chapter 2 of 1 Kings, uh, 
To firmly establish his kingdom, Solomon takes care of some unfinished business. And there's a lot that happens. There's betrayal, there's collusion, there's power struggle, there's death. It's like days of our lives, right? It's all happening there. So I encourage you to go and read first two chapters of First Kings, and then you'll get a better understanding of the situation and the way in which Solomon gets to the throne. But let me highlight this point before we come to our reading. David, before he gives Solomon... Before he dies, he gives Solomon this charge. And it's in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. First, he says, walk in obedience to God. Second, keep God's decrees and commandments. And thirdly, keep God's laws and regulations. Simply put, David says to his son, be faithful to God. This echoes what Moses, what Joshua, and what Samuel had said to the Israelites in the past. Be faithful to God. And this is also the same for us today. It is true for us today. We need to be faithful to God. So our text is 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 1 to 15, and Rachel is going to read it for us. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places, because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in ministering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realised it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. 
Then he gave a feast for all his court. Thank you, Rachel. Very well read. Very well read. All right. So Solomon marries the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to forge an alliance with the Egyptians. Then he goes to offer sacrifices at the high places, the altars, for there is no temple of God at this point in time. And the altars would have been left over from the previous inhabitants of the land. And while at one of his journeys, he has this dream. And in the dream, he prays. And we notice four things about this prayer. First, Solomon acknowledges God's past action, his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his righteousness, and his uprightness. Secondly, he asks for the continuance of God's favor on him and his people. Thirdly, he expresses his humility. I'm only a little child, he says, and confesses the lack of experience that he has. And lastly, he asks for the ability to carry out his duties. He seeks wisdom. Solomon's request is for a a wise, a discerning heart. And in Proverbs 18, in the message translation, he kind of puts it this way. A wise man and woman are always learning, always learning, always listening for fresh insights. It doesn't stop. It just continues on and on. And this is something that Solomon is asking. He's saying, God, can you grant me something that I will continue to learn, continue to understand, continue to soak in? but also continue to listen, to hear. And in the Hebrew word, Shema, it says hear and obey. It's not just hearing, it's not just knowing, but it's actually also doing. And because of this, God grants him his request for a discerning heart. Not only that, God grants him riches and honor. With that wisdom, Solomon does a wonderful job of building the temple. But after building the temple, Solomon makes some horrible choices and so begins his undoing. He begins to marry daughters of other kings, hundreds of them, for political alliance. Then he adopts their gods and introduces the worship of their gods to, into Israel. Then he accumulates huge amounts of wealth, a huge army, and brings in slave labor for all his building projects. As his rule comes to an end, we see Solomon not being faithful to God, but has established himself like God. Like Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he has established himself as a sole ruler. And the fruit of his rule is a split kingdom as Rehoboam, his son, comes to sit on the throne. So what can we learn from him? What can we learn from Solomon? How can we navigate life in 2019 where culture seeks for us to have an autonomous life, yet we are called to a theonomous life where Christ is the head? and center of our life and not ourself. Now we can learn to be wise by examining how Solomon was undone. And the first thing we notice about Solomon, <coughs> excuse me, 
about Solomon is the absence of wise counsel. So Solomon is the only king who had no prophetic voice as a king. King Saul had Samuel. King David had Samuel and then later on Nathan. King Rehoboam I had Ijah. And Jeroboam, sorry, Jeroboam had Ijah and Rehoboam had Shemaiah and King Ahab had Elijah and so on. But Solomon, every king had a voice that spoke into their kingship and into their decision, but not Solomon. Even though Nathan was around at the time, it is not recorded in scripture of God speaking through Nathan to Solomon or Solomon seeking Nathan's advice, or Solomon even seeking God's advice. Throughout his life, there is no wise counsel that is brought into his decisions. And Solomon highly relied on his own capacity. Solomon had all that wisdom, but was never able to use it in a practical way. Somehow, There was no voice from outside given to him. However, Jesus models us, models it for us, that as he sought wise counsel, he spent many times in prayer, seeking his father's counsel. He prayed and he sought after him, God the Father. We all need wise counsel in our lives. A voice of wisdom. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And at times, God will use those around us to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me share this story. One day, I had an argument with my parents. Shock horror, right? I'm human. I had an argument. I was very disappointed with my parents to the point that I didn't speak speak to them for weeks, for weeks. But it was really eating away at my heart, right? One little voice saying, you're a pastor, you're a pastor. And like, you need to get resolved this, you need to resolve this. And so I shared this predicament with, um, with my mentor. And he gently suggested that I refrain from going to my parents and actually try to resolve this. It really took me by surprise. Um, but he said, give it time. Your parents will always be there. Give it time. And time will come uh, when it needs to be discussed. And that time did come, and it came naturally, and it wasn't forced, and all our differences, all our argument was resolved, Right? I'm still saying I was in the right. But in hindsight, I know, had I gone at that time, if I didn't take on that wise counsel, had I gone in that, in that time, I wouldn't have gone to resolve the disagreement. I would have gone to make a point. I know that. I know me. I know that. I would have gone to make a point. Right? It wasn't hearing... God saying go, it was actually my voice telling me to go and get this resolved and get it off your chest, right? But in time, God allowed me to 
see my faults, see my um, mistaken ways, and was able to have a, have a civil conversation with my parents to be able to actually seek forgiveness rather than trying to make a point. There have been voices in my life, you know, other ministry leaders, my mentors, my family, leaders who I serve with. I think the important thing here is the question, are we ready to listen? Is my heart ready to listen to wise counsel? And also, am I seeking that? Am I seeking wise counsel? We all need voices and a discerning heart. God will even use donkeys only if you and I will have ears to hear and hearts to understand. Like Solomon, if we do not have wise counsel in our lives, then we are sure to make bad, poor decisions and choices which will be based on our own heart and our own understanding following our passions and our desires of ourself rather than hearing the wise counsel of the Father God for us. And the second undoing, Solomon's second undoing, was that he had untamed passions. Through the lack of wise counsel, Solomon's passions ran wild, right? With great intention, but the right things done the wrong way. You know, God instructed Solomon to follow his decrees. Commands were given, yet he followed his desires and his passions. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines. He intermarried with Moabites, Ammonites, Adamites, Sidians, Sidonians, and Hittites. All All of these people groups, nations, that God said, do not marry So he goes and does it. Thousand wives. It's like bachelor on steroids. Even if he was to spend one day with, you know, you know how I don't watch Bachelor, but I've been told, I've been told that they go on dates, right? They go on dates. So even if he went on dates, one with his wife, it would take him about three years, two years and three quarters. Now, if you're married, I'm looking over here. If you're married, right, we all agree. God says one, and one is enough. He's wise. He is wise. He brought all these women from foreign lands, and every relationship brought a moral commitment. And the Bible said these women turned his heart away from God. His heart was turned away from God. Now, when I was younger, my passion was to play sport. I love sport, right? And you can tell that I've given that up, right? You look at me and go, nah, Michael's not in it anymore. Um, But every day, I would immerse myself in it. Now I think, uh, why did I do that, you know? But, hey, we we grow, we grow wiser. Anyway, when I was in primary school, it was cricket in summer. I grew up in Melbourne. Cricket in summer and VFL in winter, AFL, VFL in winter, right? And every Tuesday after school, it was cricket practice. Thursday, cricket practice. Saturday morning, it was cricket games. 
right? Parents that say, let's go out to Ballarat and have a picnic. Your grandparents have come all the way from Korea they, you know, to see the sights and whatever. Sorry, I'm going to go play cricket. My, my life revolved around sport. And coming to Perth and attending Williton Senior High School, guess what sport it was? Basketball. Right? You cannot escape basketball at Willow. Right? Everything was basketball. Spent many days down at the stadium. Uh, not only that, every opportunity to be able to watch a game. I was down there refereeing, even wanted to play at a um, higher level. But thank God that has passed. Because in those times... My heart was not on God, but on my passions, which was sport. I tried every sport. The only sport that I never really got to try is anything related to snow. Even though I was working in Korea, I didn't have the opportunity. I tried every given opportunity to play different sports. And at that time, my whole discerning of my life and decisions revolved around the central figure of sport. So whatever game was coming up and what was on Saturday, all my decisions were based on that, right? That was my passion. That's what I drove for. What was I going to do? When was I going to do it? was all based around the activity of sport that I was doing. How easy it is for us to follow that, all of us to follow that, to pursue our gratifications rather than our callings. Now, Solomon's passions were untamed. He chased after his passions. And when he thought he had grasped what he wanted, it changed form, right? Like smoke, vapor, he pursued after pleasure, he pursued after wealth, he pursued after fame. But when he had an understanding of what fame looked like, when he had an understanding of what wealth looked like and pleasure looked like, when he went to grasp it, it actually changed form. And that's why he says, vapor, vapor, hevel, smoke. If you know how smoke works, you go to winter camp and there's lots of smoke because we can't keep the fire going. There's lots of smoke, and it changes form as smoke goes. As smoke goes up into the air, it changes form. It does not stay the same. And when we pursue wealth, when we pursue pleasure, when we pursue fame, something that is outside of God, it's like grasping smoke. It changes form. When you think you've got it, it actually changes form. It's something different, and you're chasing after that again. What if Solomon had wise counsel and his discernment revolved around the central figure of Yahweh? What if he had a support group around him who were able to keep him accountable, to keep him in check, keep him focused on God rather than something other, being distracted by those things that are on the side? I wonder if you have someone who you are accountable to. Are you part of an MP3? We all need people around us who will keep us in check for and to the things of God, to have him at the center of our discerning process. We need to have God at the center 
and our discernment must revolve around him. For example, in deciding your career path, don't focus on how much you want to make and the wealth that it will bring and what you can do with it. But how about changing our thinking? God has given me these gifts. How can I use these gifts to bring him glory and honour through my vocation? And the financial rewards that come to me, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. Slight change of thinking, but is it God-centred or is it something that we are chasing after? And so as we seek wise counsel and tame our passions for and to the things of God, we don't end up puffing ourselves up. And that was Solomon's third undoing. Solomon had self-aggrandizement. He was proud of what he had achieved. Not, it's not wrong in itself of being proud of your achievements. But he was very prideful. He had, a, he had made a name for himself. He abused the money that God had given him, and in the later years he sold off all kinds of towns and was gradually getting rid of all the territory that God had given him only to satisfy his own desire to build, to build, to build. He took 13 years to build his own home and many more to build palaces for his wives. Just think, thousand wives, maybe not thousand palaces, but all the time and energy and effort put into it. We read of the exorbitant amount of wealth that Solomon had accumulated as he chased after the fame and wealth and pleasure of the world, First Kings 10, chapter 10, verses 14 to 29, details some of Solomon's wealth and grandeur. Verse 23 says that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, Solomon Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules and more and more and more. Solomon had lost his initial heart of humility and that was his undoing. Last camp, there was a significant moment where Humility was displayed. In the message on camp, we shared that uh, we all need God in our lives. And after the message, as we broke out into our connect groups for discussion, there was this one person, uh, just where they were, unmoved, just sobbing. So one of our leaders sat with her and began to chat. And long story short, they come and we're chatting in a group of three. And what she said was simple, but it was most profound. And this is what she said. You said we all need God in our lives. We need God in our lives. But I realized that I don't have him in my life. And this made me sad. This made me sad. Sad that I did not have the Son of God who died for me for all of us, 
to have a relationship with him. Not having him in my life made me sad. We can take a lifetime coming to church each week and never have that revelation. It takes humility to come before our Father. Because what we are really saying is that I cannot do this life on my own accord. Not Solomon. But I need some wise counsel. I need not follow my passions of the flesh, but my passions of the heart for God. And this takes humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less and focusing on God. Jesus is our great model for humility. In Philippians 2, Jesus didn't use his position for, to his advantage. He humbled himself. He became a human. Even further, he became a servant. Even further, to die on the cross. He emptied all that was of and from him for the glory of God. Not for himself. He didn't lift himself up, but God lifted him up. We need humility if we are truly going to live with a wise, discerning heart. And without humility, we cannot hear wise counsel, nor can we tame our passions. In closing, as a band, I want to invite the band up. And in closing, true wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. The fear that comes from a reverence and awe of who God is and who we are in him. Wisdom is also the right understanding of reality and is the basis of moral and ethical life and it is expressed in the conduct of life itself in this fear of the Lord. And we, wisdom arises from an attitude of heart or mind which is not only knowing God, but also in doing, in the fear of the Lord. This fear of the Lord sandwiches the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs chapter 1-7, it begins, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. And it ends Ecclesiastes with, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. When God gave a blueprint for humanity, God gave it to us in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he gave us three foundational principles for life. First is faith that we trust in God in every aspect and twist and turn of life, that he be the wise counsel, that he is the voice that we hear and apply to our lives. He gave us spirituality, that man, humanity shall not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God, that God is at the center of 
of our life. And he gave us humility. He said, to be humble before God. All of these three references were referred to by Jesus when he was tested in the wilderness. Humility, spirituality, and faith. And true wisdom is born from these. True wisdom is born from humility, spirituality, and faith. In the fear of our God. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we need you, Lord. We need a fresh revelation of who you are in our everyday. Help us in our need, and as we seek wisdom, Lord, we hold on to your promise. For those who seek wisdom, that you will grant it. And Father, may we use the wisdom that you grant us for your kingdom and for your name. Father, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. And if there's any one of us who lacks wisdom, and I think we all do, Father, won't you grant that to us this evening? Grant that to us, Lord. Help us to hear, help us to understand, but also help us to obey and step out in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.